from Borger, Texas. Here is that wild cowboy, Stan the Larian Hanson. This coming Monday, April 26th, 80s Wrestling Con's Virtual Signing Series Monday Night Virtual welcomes WWE Hall of Famer Stan the Lariat Hansen. You can catch all the action live on the Facebook page from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and there's still time to head to 80swrestlingcon.com to purchase a photo to have signed live by Stan Hansen. Again, visit 80swrestlingcon.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. And we got an outstanding show for you today. As always, I'm Jumpin' Jay, and I'm joined by the lighter side of the ring, Mr. Tommy Fierro. Hey, what's going on, Jay? How are you, man? Tommy, I'm doing fantastic. I'm beyond excited. We have, waiting in the wings, two gentlemen who are doing huge things, not only in the world of professional wrestling, which we love, but in the world of television, documentaries, filming. We have... Evan Husney and Jason Eisner, the creators of Viceland's hit, and I mean hit series, The Dark Side of the Ring. Evan and Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Thanks for having us. Hey, hey, thanks for having us. Hey, man, I got to tell you guys, first and foremost, before we start, uh, you know, not that many things over the last few years in the wrestling industry has been exciting. You know, I, that's why we do 80s wrestling in the podcast. You know, we, we relive our childhood era when wrestling was, for us, was, was, was great. And, you know, over the last few years, there hasn't been many things in the wrestling industry that has excited me personally. But one of the things, if not one of the only things that has uh, piqued my interest in something that I gravitated towards was was the dark side of the ring and over the last few years man you know you guys have really when i when i say hit it out of the park i mean that's an understatement and you guys have really captured uh the imaginations of, of fans all over the world with this hit series and i, I know you started in 2019 uh for, first question is going into this was this something that you guys thought would turn into what it is today was it was it something you just wanted to put a couple of documentaries together and see how it would go or was the plan going into it that you know it would be a, a several series hit that it is now well the uh this is evan by the way thank you very much for saying that too i uh, appreciate that you watch the show and love it um the uh uh, original idea, I think, first, Jason, was that we were, you know, we we just wanted to make a documentary about Bruiser Brody. That was kind of the original concept. Um, you know, we just got super enamored with Brody as a as a performer, and we were super curious of like who the real, you know, Frank Goodish is behind that wrestler. Um, and and of course, you know, the the the, the tragedy of what happened to him in Puerto Rico. And we thought that that would just be the basis of a really compelling documentary um, 
to kind of reexamine all all of that. And that just kind of organically spiraled into like, you know, when we started pitching Vice TV, uh, the show, it was just like, you know, it, it turned into, well, what other stories could you tell in this uh, in this world and let's develop it out into more of a show. And so then we started to really kind of um, think about other stories that we could uh, put into a season of a tele- uh, into a television show that sort of checked the like this like similar boxes, you know, um, uh, stories that involve you know wrestlers of the past that kind of live two lives. Here's their wrestling character, and here's who they are in real life, and or maybe there's some sort of controversy at the center of it, or 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 a, a very you know just fascinating tragic story. And so that's that's kind of we started to just put it together, and it kind of just grew into the season of the show. But honestly. Uh, I thought when we did season one, I thought that would be it, <laughs> you know, up until the moment yeah. that they wanted us to do another one. <laughs> yeah. And also, too, like, you know, even before we dove down uh, this path you know, with doing the documentary series, like before this, you know, Evan and I, we come from like the like the film world. And, you know, we had been studying, like kind of rediscovering, you know, uh, like all this like wrestling history and diving into it. And we thought, man, this would make such a great, like, narrative scripted television series, kind of like, you know, The Sopranos meets Boogie Nights, but all within, like, the territory, like, oh, yeah. days of professional wrestling. And But when we tried to pitch that, like, in Hollywood, you know, it would just go over every studio executive's head, and, like, wrestling was kind of just seen as this low-brow form of entertainment. But we knew that, like, every, like, people can relate to all the stories that, you know, that these wrestlers are going through and, you know, we just need to, you know, show people what it, you know, the wrestling world is just the backdrop um, for all these like crazy like events that like take place in these wrestlers lives. So, you know, when it it wasn't going, couldn't get the narrative uh, idea out there, you know, we thought let's make a documentary series and see if that strikes a chord. And it did. And we just kept going with it. Yeah. One of the reasons I think your guys' series has been so successful is, Jason, you just kind of alluded to it right there. Yes, these are stories about people in the world of wrestling, but at its core, you're telling stories about humans, which all people Mm -hmm. can relate to. For example, my wife, not a wrestling fan, doesn't understand why I love wrestling. If I have Monday Night Ron, she will not (laughs) sit on the couch. If I'm watching Dark Side of the Ring, she is right there next to me, glued to the television, because you're telling these stories in a way that grabs the human side of everybody, not just wrestling fans. With that being said, with the success of this documentary, is there still plans or hopes to parlay that into a series like you were just talking about, Jason? I I hope so. That you know, that's always the goal. We have like you know, movie ideas based in this world, like television series ideas. You know, this isn't going to be the like. This is only the beginning in terms of the kind of stories yeah. we want to tell within the wrestling world. Like we we definitely have plans and want to develop. You know, um, you know, more cinematic wrestling stories. Yeah, I think I think that's the <clears throat> that's the definitely the next step for us is that you know um in doing now after, after third like after season three airs there's going to be you know 30 of these episodes which is hard to imagine but that's a lot and you know i think for us the next logical step is we would love to take one of them to the big screen um or 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 to or to a television series in a, in a dramatic way because that's 
that's truthfully, honestly, what our what our goal was from the beginning. That would yeah. be that, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Uh, you know, you said after this season three, there would be, you know, thirty episodes. I, I still think, just you know, if you look at the history of the wrestling business, I, I still think you haven't even scratched the surface of all the different stories that <laughs> you guys can still yeah. tell. You, you guys could probably do twenty seasons of this. But yeah, man, if being on the big screen would be absolutely phenomenal. Uh, season three kicks off on May the sixth. A really, really, really awesome season. So far, you guys have announced an episode on Brian Pillman, The Ultimate Warrior, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Dynamite Kids, same thing. Grizzly Smith. Mm-hmm. I mean, these episodes are very, very, very interesting that you have coming up. Uh, Collision in Korea. My, my question is for for the average you know, fans sitting at home watching these episodes that don't know all the hard work that goes behind even making one episode. What is, without giving too much away, uh, what is like a, a day or a month or six weeks or two months look like for you uh, getting one episode huh. in the can? Well, you know, we're, 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 we're always work, we're like we're working on many episodes at the same time. So <clears throat> at, at, at any given moment, we're usually working on between like you know we're we're probably working on eight episodes at a given time because you're either filming we're either filming four episodes like of the documentary interviews traveling around the country and that's you know that that could be its own dark side of the ring series just in terms of filming this and during the pandemic over the last year but you know so you know we're either filming you know, four episodes of documentary simultaneously and also, you know, have at least four episodes in the process of post-production and editing them and preparing them to shoot, you know, our reenactment scenes or what have you. So so any given day is, 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 you know, can be quite chaotic in terms of managing just, you know, all these stories at the same time. And there's a lot of moving parts, as you can imagine. And yeah, and, and you know, thank God we have such a talented, skilled team um, of editors and producers and um, you know other uh, you know and 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 other folks that help us you know get this across the finish line because <laughs> uh, it is kind of you know when you think about it, I mean we're ostensibly making 14 documentaries in in under a year so it's it's a yeah. it's, it's a it's a it is a big production it's a big uh, uh, yeah just like you know factory yeah. uh, <laughs> assembly line <laughs> yeah. And not only that, too, we're doing this all during the pandemic. So it's like the, the, the whole traveling situation is really crazy and, and, and intense. And we've had to, you know, learn every aspect of COVID protocols for filming production. And, you know, that's just yeah. created its own, you know, we thought making last season was tough on its own, just making what was it, like the 10 episodes. But, or, um, but now, you know, with the pandemic and you know doing more episodes but we've managed to make it work like we've it's been yeah it's you know and thank god everyone's been safe and um yeah Yeah. it's it's Mm -hmm. been working yeah and we you know normally we would be flying everywhere you know we'd fly to hawaii you know go interview don morocco then we got to go fly to you know (laughs) las vegas you know go around and do all these interviews but you know this season that's that's been yeah. You know, we have to still maintain oh, a production yeah. schedule, but we can't do that. We, you know, and so what we've been doing is we've, we've been, you know, me and, you know, myself and a couple of the, uh, of our camera guys just getting, we just got like, we just got an RV and we just, we just, we just drove the whole thing. So we've, we've driven around the country, uh, two or three times now, <laughs> literally across country. 
uh, going on a, at these epic road trips in order to do get these interviews. So that's also been an experience in and of itself. Yeah, and we we uh, like after season two, like our dream for Evan and I was like, man, if we ever do season three, we'd love to go to Japan and shoot interviews there. You know, that yeah, was the dream. And then, you yeah. know, with everything, we couldn't travel that far, but we still managed to get interviews in Japan, even though we didn't get to go, but we got to Skype in for them and work with a team over there that helped us film those interviews. Well, I have to imagine with the success of this series right now. When you make a phone call to someone and say, we'd like to have you on for Dark Side of the Ring, they're familiar with the show, so they're probably excited to partake. But in that first season when you guys were unknown, what kind of reception did you, did you get when you would call these wrestlers and say, hey, we're filming this show, we'd love to, to get you on camera? Were people on board right away, or did it take some kind of hustle and motivating mm-hmm. on your end to get them to agree to do it? Well, yeah, going back to the first season, definitely there was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot, yeah, a lot of having to explain. We didn't have the name Dark Side of the Ring during producing season one, and it was kind of just like this more ambiguous, like, we're doing this show about this thing, and, you know, and then, and it, and it kind of became, uh, it was definitely challenging to get people on board then, and I think what really saved us during the season one time, I think what really bought us the street cred was that you know we had already filmed the Bruiser Brody episode that was our pilot so that was kind of you know we we were able to kind of show people that or we would just talk about it like yeah we did a doc about Bruiser Brody and we interviewed his family and and instant I think wrestlers just respect Bruiser Brody so much and the fact that we were, that that was the episode we did first and I think that bought us a lot of credibility um, and I mean I know it did with Bret Hart you know Bret Hart. At, at first was like, I, I don't need to tell my, you know, Montreal Screwjob story again. And then it was like, oh, you guys had Brody on the show? Well, you know, okay, I'm in, you know, type of thing. Um, yeah. But then, like, you know, going, but like going into season three, um, you know, you, you know, yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, you call up wrestlers, you say you're with Dark Side of the Ring, but it is still kind of a divisive thing. I mean, I, I've had wrestlers tell me, flat out know that you know that show only talks about the negative and these stories shouldn't be told you know um and you know and then and then you get the click or or uh, <laughs> or, or sometimes they get scared <laughs> you know and it's like oh no what did i do and why am i on the show <laughs> but um it, it is it is it is you know it is still challenging you know um and it is still a, it is still a process to to build trust yeah. with anyone and 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 and, and do that yeah yeah, How sometimes cool. too, even the uh, the family members are not so much um, aware of our show, and you know That's there's true. there's one in particular that we really wanted, and um, she turned us down like right off the top. She's like, "I've never told a story, and I don't want to tell it." But then she watched the Von Eric episode, and mm. she was really close with them. And she saw how we handled that, and she called us back and was like, "Okay, like I'm I'm interested." And so that was really and cool. Owens, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think <clears throat> I think like the Owen episode too from last season. Um, I think uh, yeah, because you're, you're totally right, Jason. Like family members, you know, don't you know are they don't they don't really they've never really had much of a platform to tell their story. No one's really asked, you know. <laughs> And and you know to and they're not performers and so to be like hey you know we want to you know put you in front of a bunch of cameras and have you tell a very intimate or difficult story um, they're not really used to that and I think that they can find I think the Owen episode in particular 
when now having that to show other family members, I think it does give them strength to tell their story because of because of Martha yeah. and 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 her strength in telling her story, and that that's helped us such you know so much. Uh, just like you know Brody, uh, just like Brody's widow Barbara did for us in season one, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Now, obviously, you, you guys <clears throat> going into season three, you you can you can feel the momentum behind you guys. You know this is a, a hit show now. How cool is it for you guys? Because obviously, you guys are big wrestling fans to be doing this to have you know the top tier guys in our industry in 2021 because you know they're watching it, and I'm sure that some of them have you know messaged you guys privately and, and gave you feedback on the show. How cool is it knowing because they, they are they're watching 100 percent that all the big names from all the different companies in, in today's wrestling business is watching your show and giving you guys feedback on it. Well, I, as a fan, it's, 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 it's amazing and surreal at the same time, because, you know, a lot of these guys, I mean, I mean, I was obsessed with wrestling growing up, like in a, in a deeply, you know, profound way, you know? And so like, uh, you know, having action, owning action figures of all of these guys, seeing them when they came through Minneapolis, you know, all that stuff. And then to know that, like, you know, X amount of years later, decades later, you know, I'm I'm kind of at the center of, you know, my action figure collection, you know, interacting with all these guys I had toys of. And also, you know, or even in the most extreme case, you know, sitting on the other end of a camera, you know, and, and kind of being a, 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 dare I say, like a pseudo therapist as they're working through, you know, some of their, you know, some of their darkest moments. And uh, but it's also cool just to get the feedback, you know, and, and to talk. And, and it was really cool. Even, you know, I, I think kind of the 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 pinnacle of that for me uh, going into this season is, you know, we're doing the Brian Pillman episode. Um, and then, you know, we had the opportunity to talk to Stone Cold Steve Austin for that episode. And I mean, I, I just was a massive Steve Austin fan growing up and just sure. to kind of come full circle, you know, um, with him in that regard. And to hear that, you know, he was a, that like, you know, there was a lot, he's checked out a bunch of episodes of our show and asked us all these, you know, questions about well, what did you find here? Would you, you know, and then just, to, that was, just, it was awesome. It was just really cool. You guys have kind of had a chance to go back and rewatch some old episodes on the Dark Side of the Ring Confidential, which is an awesome look because we get to hear you guys tell your side of the story. We get to see some never-before-seen footage. And during the Abdullah the Butcher episode, you guys talked about how strange <laughs> it was being in his house, being in that one room, how he kind of chased Jason around uh, the house for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what are some other like just strange or unique experience that you guys had that maybe didn't make the show but stands out to you as people, as fans? Is there is there somebody you interviewed that was not at all like you expected or something odd or wacky kind of came out of nowhere that you didn't expect? Oh, well, that one's definitely up on the top of the list. But... <laughs> definitely um... one of them. Um, you know, for me, also – it's like sometimes, like you know, there, you know, we do a lot of research, and but there's some there's some people you can't you can't find out everything about them before you enter their home, and you know when we went to go visit uh, Tiny the Terrible to interview um, <laughs> him for the New Jack episode, that was like an incredible surreal experience, and when they like took us into his bedroom and you saw 
like when we op- he opened the door and we just saw like a thousand homemade like action figures that he made himself and customized and he created this whole universe you know he had this whole universe that he created and you know we just like walked into it <laughs> into his bedroom and you know that's yeah. one of the I'll never forget that that'll be I'll be telling <laughs> that story uh, to yeah. my great grandchildren <laughs> I think I think yeah that one that one for sure is probably takes the cake but I think uh one of the other ones that that comes to mind for me too is um uh we talked about it on confidential was you know uh, Earl Hebner you know um oh, and that yeah. that story we that story we told on on confidential is a shoot where literally he thought <laughs> that you know we were Canadian assassins that were going to you know that going to snuff him out for you know, his role in the Montreal screw job. And, and that was for real. I mean, that was a very kind of scary um, circumstance, but I think at the same time as documentary filmmakers, um, you know, and, and paying attention to that, it's like, wow, you know, there's some deep seated trauma there that Earl has. And it really kind of showed me that, you know, as much as Brett has talked about being the victim of the Montreal screw job, I really kind of believe that Earl is, is like the number one victim of that because he still wears the trauma of the screw job like every day, you know, and like Mm. where, you know, Brett and Vince, they've all turned it in. They've all, you know, Brett and Vince have kind of all worked it back into the storyline now, you know, when they had the match and they did the whole thing. And, but for Earl, it's still something that haunts him because he had to betray, you know, one of his best, friends it's like you know it's like something you'd see like in breaking bad or something you know or <laughs> like i don't know like it's like you know so i yeah. you know, that to me was like very unexpected and wow like that this this really you know shows you what this is all about what was the obviously there's some you know some of these subjects hit 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 home hard for the family members throughout the first two seasons was there a particular episode that was, you know, obviously you guys are humans too, and you, you know, you have feelings and emotions. Was was there an episode for you guys in the first two seasons that, you know, was the hardest one for you guys to film personally? Um, I, I mean, there's a there's a ahead. few of them, but um, I I would say, and you probably agree, as uh, doing the the story about the Benoit family, um, that was probably I feel like I feel. You know, just the um, the emotional weight of taking on a story like that, and like a filmmaker could work on just that story alone for a couple of years, you know. And mm-hmm. you know, we had all these other episodes that we had to make, but that show, we had to, we spent a lot of time with it, and it was a journey to get it into production. There was a lot of trust building. And a lot of stuff that went beyond, behind the scenes for probably over a year building up to doing that episode. It was talked about being made for the first season, but it just would never have worked. Like there, we needed to really um, prove ourselves and um, and build build trust with family members, be able to tell and and people who were the closest to that story. You know, had we done it in the first season, we wouldn't have gotten the access that you needed to properly properly tell that story. Well, also, and you know, it's it's that the 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 emotions, uh, <clears throat> you know, in that story are so raw in turn, or the way that you know they appear on screen, because um, in 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 many ways, you know, you as viewers are seeing, and and we as you know, 
filmmakers as we're shooting it are are, are really seeing you know some of the first times that uh, these folks uh, have really opened up about this story. Um, you know, mainly, and I think that's what kind of made it really one of the more intense emotional experiences. Is I remember like interviewing David Benoit, and that to me seemed like really probably the first time he had ever, maybe to anyone, spoke about this, you know, his own true feelings about what had happened. And uh, similarly, you know, with a lot of the, the former WWE stars, too, because, you know, honestly, they, they've been conditioned for so long to never talk about this, to never mention it, you know. And then I think if everyone is kind of, you know, on that wavelength, you know, they're not talking about it amongst themselves. And so I think for that, I think it was just like a huge release and a huge cathartic experience, like for everyone. And that, I think, made it really extra heavy because it was like, okay, here's the here's the first time we're all going to be kind of, uh, you know, dealing with this and, and like unpacking this, um, you know, so that was heavy. Um, and I think, you know, right up close to that, for me, obviously the Owen episode was very emotional, um, but but also the the uh, the uh, Gino Hernandez story um, was was really emotional uh, because you know here's a family that's for over 30 years that's been um, you know wondering what happened you know to their to their loved one to their son to their husband to their father you know and there was no answers and then as we were digging into this story we we got some answers. You know, and and then being able to have that information to 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 give to the family to help with provide some closure after 30 years, that was a really heavy experience. Like having the police photos or something, you know, that they didn't that they, that they had never seen or you know had all these questions about, you know, all, it, that was heavy. That was a really 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 heavy experience. One of the reasons. Uh, fans of, of our age fell in love with wrestling in the 80s and early 90s was their ability to tell a compelling story. Storytelling has always uh-huh. been a part of wrestling. You guys are tremendous storytellers in the way that you cover these topics, but also in the way that you present them on the screen. Your filming style is very compelling, how you guys backlight actors who are who are representing these characters so you see their silhouettes as they go about it i absolutely love it it's very engaging one how oh, do you thank guys you. settle on that style of filming and two what does it take to find somebody who can play the part of a road warrior or somebody who can play the part of a macho man randy savage do you guys have open casting calls do you see people on independent shows what's that part of the filming process like yeah, well, it's, we we shoot it all in Toronto, uh, Canada. So we're, for the most part, limited to casting there. And you know, we're just we're, we link up with local indie wrestling promotions and you know look at their rosters or you know we're <laughs> scouring just Instagram looking at you know gyms in Toronto looking for bodybuilders or you know and, and in a lot of cases there will be people we get that have never acted before in their lives. Um, but um, it's, you know, what you're seeing on the screen, it's all shot in slow motion. It's backlit. Um, but if we were like to turn on the lights, you you know, you would just see it. So it's very, it's kind of simple with the sets and the costumes there. Um, but the way we like, we, we developed the idea of it was we were, when we were working on the Bruiser Brody pilot, we were sitting in Evan's apartment in New York 
And we were trying to figure out like what's going to be our vision for telling these stories. And we were really inspired by Errol Morris's film, uh, the, the thin blue line where you just see that he has like these kind of like backlit, like reenactments that are just like simple and classy. And we were kind of just getting into the vibe of that. And then I, we just took, um, uh, Evan's Bruiser Brody action figure and Tony Atlas action figure. And I took a <laughs> flashlight and just flipped my phone into slow-mo. And I was just filming just like these shots of like what could, I was kind of like storyboarding them in a way. And I was just moving the, like the flashlight and, you know, I showed it to Evan and he, he thought, you know, wow, we could actually, at first we thought, man, maybe we could just do these reenactments for the action figures. Like, this looks pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we thought, well, no, let's, like, take this idea and, like, you know, get wrestlers or bodybuilders, get the body type right. Because, you know, back then with these larger-than-life characters that we grew up with, like, you could just see, like, you know, Hulk Hogan's silhouette or the Undertaker silhouette, and you know exactly who that person mm-hmm. is just from the silhouette and yep. maybe a little bit of their their color combinations that they have, you know. And so we, that worked so great for us because we knew, like, if we could just get the silhouette kind of right and have that little bit of the out-of-focus sort of blurred memory sort of vibe that we try to do is, like, trying to make people feel like they're watching these, like, um, these fainted memories from the past. You know, and so hopefully with the effect of like the music and the interviews and those reenactments that people feel like they're, they're transported in back into those, those moments. Yeah. And it's also, it's it's the highest risk part too of, of, I think the show, because, you know, you don't want to, um, you know, misfire on the casting and, you know, you're, there is a lot of, these guys are iconic, larger than life, um, characters and you know that's part of the reason people uh paid money to go see them is because you wouldn't see people that look like this on a daily basis um so for us it's like you know we uh you know it's kind of funny because i think if if anyone were to see what these actors really look like with the lights turned on and the focus uh sharp i think a lot of people wouldn't believe that (laughs) you know Mm, like how much the shadows and the soft focus actually add to creating that illusion um, because uh, there's just no way, you know? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the concept that, you know, Jason landed on with the action figures and, 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 and making it as surreal as possible, you know, making it slow motion, making it dreamlike and that whole thing, I think, you know, thank God we landed on that because that I think really, you know, adds so much to it. It elevates it, I think. And, it, you know, cause no, normal reenactments can, can be kind of corny or cheesy. And I think, if you if you try to make re- reenactments look like real life, it's not going to work. You have to make them elevated and 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 and, and surreal and, and and take it in a different direction. Then I think it can work if it's not lifelike. And I think that you know sometimes we've had a really hard time finding actors to play some of these some of these characters, and sometimes it comes in at the literal last possible second where, oh, my God, we're shooting tomorrow and we still haven't found, you know, our so-and-so. And so, you know, it's always a rat race to get to cast all these characters. But somehow, thank yeah. God, not knock on wood, we've been able to do it. Yeah. 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 And, for, and, and also a good example, when we were we were at WrestleMania a couple of years ago in New Orleans and uh, we were filming interviews there. 
for the show and we went to WrestleMania and I had, I don't know, went to the bathroom or something and came out and saw this guy who looked exactly like Macho Man, Randy Savage. <laughs> and like, I like, I just beamed up to him and I put my phone in someone's hand and I said like, could you just film a slow motion shot of me and Randy here? And, uh, <laughs> We did this like slow motion shot and I took it to Evan uh, back at our seats. And I was like, dude, this is our, this is our Randy here. <laughs> like we gotta, get, we gotta book this guy and bring him to Toronto. And we did. Yeah. Oh yeah, we did. And his, his wife had made all the Randy's, you know, iconic costumes for him. Cause he's a cosplayer. He's a Randy Savage cosplayer. And it's like, you know, that's kind of the sweet spot. You know, you got to find the cosplayers and, and, you know, get them, get them booked. <laughs> but yeah, he was, absolutely fantastic and i actually remember sh- when we first shot that stuff and with with that actor uh brandon who played uh randy savage and and, and i remember sending it to uh to to bruce pritchard i think as w- when we first had it and he just was like whoa that's eerie because that you know that's randy you know and like just in terms of like all you know all the close-up shots and and um so that was cool that was one time where we were able to actually get it a little more in focus because he was so right on the money well, and anytime you can find an actor that has his own Macho Man costume ready to go, that's a that's a plus. Oh no doubt. Yeah. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, we had an instance. We had an instance. We had a really heartbreaking instance here on 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 as far as costumes goes on season three, which is uh, you know we're doing the Collision in Korea episode, um, and. Uh, uh, we know we cast an actor as Ric Flair because you know he's on the he, Ric Flair was on the trip. And um, we wanted to get this shot of, you know, when, when Ric Flair comes out to, to the ring for the for the match. And our costume designer looks at us and is like, uh, oh, man, you know, uh, going to have to make this robe. You know, and it's like such an elaborate, you know, one of Rick's more elaborate purple robes. And, um, you know, I, I, I hit up, you know, I actually hit up. Uh, think i think i hit up conrad you know who who obviously you know is is deep into the wrestling memorabilia uh uh world and i was like do you know anybody that has this robe or do you personally have this robe and he hooked me up with the owner of that robe so like oh my god we're gonna get the original robe that rick flair wore in north korea for the episode for the actor to wear you know how cool is that and then uh obviously during the pandemic it gets it gets put in FedEx and it's delayed, you know, for like ten days after we shot it, so we we didn't get to use it in the episode, <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. so heartbreaking. But our our costume designer Sarah, unbelievable, in like a matter of a day, put together, you know, a uh, a, a out of focus friendly version of of the <laughs> robe that is mind blowing that she was able to put that together, yeah. and it looks great. Incredible. But there was a chance. If stars had aligned, that we would have had, you know, that original same robe, which I thought would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Say, I, I just have to ask, because I know when you film a lot of the reenactments, you obviously have a wrestling ring on set. And just knowing how wrestling fans operate oh. through their brain, I have to know, has there been an Evan versus Jason match at some point? Many. <laughs> Many. 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 <laughs> Uh, whole, a, whole, a lot of them haven't pro- happened in the ring, though. <laughs> yeah, we we usually go out and work the crowd. Uh, no, um, I think I the first think, time, 
Patrick Evans being the baby face of, of the match, by the way. No, I'm a heel. He's a heel. He's a good heel. Yeah. yeah. No, so yeah, I think it was uh, when we were filming the Brody pilot, there's a scene there um, when uh, we were filming with Dutch Mantel, and it's in the very beginning of the episode. Uh, we actually got a ring set up uh, at some armory in Tennessee. And that was my first ever experience really being able to like, you know, do whatever I want with a ring. (laughs) And so um, uh, when it was all set up, um, you know, uh, I also, it's, you know, to, to mention, you know, um, uh, uh, our good, our good departed friend, uh, Joseph Hudson, Josephus, RIP. um, He was there as well. And uh, we had the ring set up and then immediately I'm just like, you know, you know, Mickey Mark here, you know, just running into the ring, running the ropes. My first time ever in a wrestling ring. I've been thinking about this moment for 20 plus years, you know, <clears throat> and I'm I'm thinking literally that being in a wrestling ring is more akin to I know it sounds ridiculous because you always hear about how hard it is. But I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be, you know, more like a trampoline. You know, I'm like the most ignorant, naive Mickey Mark guy there ever was. I, I literally start jumping around in this thing. I'm like, ooh, this doesn't feel good at all, you know? And then and then Dutch Mantel sees me marking out in the ring, and he basically says to Josephus, all right, slam the kid now, you know? And so then Josephus <laughs> full eye down, you know, puts extra weight into it and slant and drops me dead weight. Slam- I don't know how to fall either. And, I, and I, I'm feeling like the shock through my spine, all the way down to my legs. I, I'm probably minorly concussed. And and I'm just staring there at the ceiling. And I just, it, it actually uh, re-evaluated every single bump I had ever seen in the history of wrestling. You know, like immediately flashing through my eyes, I was thinking about McFoley and thinking about, the, thinking about Hell in a Cell. I was thinking about all these different moments. And I was like, I cannot fucking believe these guys do that. I cannot believe it. You know, that this, that the, you know, this is what this feel, it shocked me at how intense it felt. And then of course, like over time when we have the ring at our disposal in the, in the, in the, in the studio, you know, since we're working with wrestlers, you know, wrestlers, like all they want to do is just grab people who don't wrestle and try and wrestle them. You know, that's like their favorite activity. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, there's been many a time, let me show you a hip toss or let me, you know, let me, let me show you how to how to, you know, take this bump and that bump. And so there's been, there's been times where, you know, we've, uh, you know, been putting various moves or various things, but there's, 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 there's not much time, you know, in between the shots and whatnot, but yeah. Oh yeah. If you have a ring oh, there, it's going to get, yeah. someone's going to be running the rope for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like that day with Josephus, like he put us both through, through it and like he slammed me around as well too. And, you know, I had the rope marks on my back for like, two days and i was hurting for like two weeks like afterwards and so now when i see the ring it's up i don't get in the ring much unless it's for a shot (laughs) because like (laughs) i I, like i just i know like i'm gonna be if i take a slam i'm gonna be hurting for like a week or more uh but it all like i haven't said you know i reevaluated how you know, we felt that maybe that was Dutch kind of teaching us a lesson. And, you know, that was the very beginning of us going down the road of Dark Side of the Ring. And so, you know, it was maybe smart on him to kind of get us to go through that because it gave us a, yeah. a better appreciation. And when we're shooting with wrestlers and the reenactments, 
you know, I know not to get too crazy with doing a lot of takes of it because I know there's the wear and tear of, of, of these moves on the yeah. body. Yeah. And I think anyone who's making a wrestling documentary or anything, I think you, you gotta, you gotta be humbled and take the body slam. You know, I think, I think that, you know, that it's, you have to feel is in some part, you know, obviously these, you know, wrestlers are doing it, you know, every night for 300 nights a year, which also is insane. But, um, I think it, I think you have to know, you have to know, and you have to, you have to respect it. <laughs> what is the, what's the thought process behind putting together these episodes? I'm looking at season two right now and my, per, my personal, first of all, I love every episode, but my personal favorite was the cocaine and cowboy boots episode. <laughs> I'm a promoter myself in New Jersey. So, I mean, I've been, I've been a promoter up here for, you know, over 25 years. So, you know, I was very familiar with her because he was in New York. What is the thought process behind putting together a season? So Evan and Jason, you guys sit down with a pen and paper and okay, this is good. Like what made you guys think of the Herb Abrams uh, story? I mean, basically that way. If you're, if you don't live up this way, or if you're not really like an insider of the wrestling business, you might not know who Herb Abrams was. So I thought that episode was fascinating. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the coolest parts about the show, or the, one of the most exciting parts about Dark Side of the Ring to me, and, and if, you know, from the perspective of making it, is when we do get to make uh, these stories that um, you know we may not you know that that we're you know we, that we're we don't know much about, and we're kind of stepping into the unknown and kind of uncovering these stories that, you know, for all intents and purposes would never make the airwaves in, you know, this decade, you know, and that to me is, is the most exciting. And, you know, usually at the start of every season, uh, you know, me, Jason, and, and some of the other members of our staff, we'll just kind of brainstorm and jam on, you know, uh, what episodes we should tell and what, what would be interesting. Um, you know, we've also obviously gotten a lot of feedback from fans and wrestlers with suggestions. I think we pretty much are aware of like, I would say 90% of all possible stories you could tell for the show because we've, we've, we've examined so many of them that have, that, including so many of them that we just haven't made yet or just for other reasons. Um, but the, the main criteria is that, you know, we, we, it has to sustain the hour, which most of them do. But it has to sustain the hour. Um, we it, it really has to like have a really interesting human hook to it. Something that a non wrestling fan would uh, you know would would be swept up into you know and 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 to be fascinated by. And other times we also like to inject like a um, uh, some sort of uh, you know blurred lines aspect because that, that 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 sort of breaking of the fourth wall, that sort of like gray area between who your character is and who you are in real life. And sometimes when those lines cross that to us is like one of the more fascinating aspects of wrestling. Uh, Cause it's so unique to wrestling and you don't really find that in much in the other fields of entertainment or sports. So we try to like hone in on that theme as much as possible. Um, like when wrestling kind of spills out into reality, that kind of thing. Um, so we try to find that first and then it's just like, also what's the best, story what is the most compelling if you're to tell someone off the street corner them and tell them the story what are they going to be the most riveted by um and herb abrams is um is an interesting one it's almost an anomaly in that way because um it was when we were actually 
putting together the original pitch materials for the show before we had filmed anything. Um, I had I had spoken to uh, uh, this fellow by the name of Sean Oliver, who does kayfabe commentaries. And um, I just, you know, Jason and I kind of like, you know, we were watching his kayfabe shoot interviews because he's one of the first shoot interview guys. We, we've been watching his stuff for years. And so I yeah. mean, if anyone's going to know crazy wrestling stories, it's going to be this guy. So I picked up the phone and called him and just picked his brain um, and what would be good for our show. And the, he's like, ah, I got to think about it. But the one that really sticks out, the one that, you know, absolutely should be something you look into is the Herb Abrams story. I'd never heard of Herb Abrams. I had no idea. But, you know, he gave me the elevator pitch that had the baby oil and the baseball bats, you know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. And so um, I actually put it in the original pitch materials for the show. Um, and and then, but for whatever reason, when we were doing season one, you know, because, maybe it's because of my unfamiliarity with the subject matter that I didn't look into it enough and then after season one came out, he was like, why didn't you do that story? I told you. It's the, we don't need a Montreal Screwjob story. We need the Herb Abrams story. You know, and so, <clears throat> so then he basically brought me on his podcast to grill me about, like, why didn't you do that? And then I, I actually – that was when we were making season two. And I actually, the next day, like, you know, feeling ashamed, I, I, I went into the office and I was like, guys, like, stop <laughs> what we're doing. Let's do Herb Abrams. We got to do it. And, 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 and we did. And thank God <clears> – <throat> Man, that was such a one of the more exhilarating experiences, uh, both in the interview process <laughs> and obviously in the reenactment process. It was just absolutely wild. But yeah, man, one of my personal favorite episodes too. During the during the filming of these shows, you get some access to some pretty cool places that normal people don't get to go. One of the things I always see and I'm always very interested in is Jim Cornette's. Is it his attic? This room in his house, he appears to have every magazine, every print, every newspaper on pro wrestling ever made. What is it like mm-hmm. going into like a, a Jim's house and seeing what essentially looks like a wrestling museum full of stuff? The first time it was like absolutely mind-blowing and it was like anxiety-inducing at the overload. same time. Yeah. yeah, it was like sensory overload because it was like, man – like I, I, I literally just want to go through these bins and go through these magazines and, you know, but it's oh, like, yeah. as, as much, like, as like amazing as it is, it's kind of all for him, you know, <laughs> it's all like for him. And it's like, I don't know if he really wants people going through it or looking at it because it's so organized in I such know. a meticulous way that uh, I, you know, so, so like on, 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 on one end, I, I didn't want to be obtrusive. And then the other end, it's like, God, I could spend a weekend in here just, you know, finding amazing photos and things. But yeah, absolutely. One of our favorite stops on the road is, is to the yeah. Castle Cornet because it's just, it, it is a sight to behold. It is. Yeah. There, like there's almost every room has like another, like has a, its own theme. And like the archive room is like, I don't want to give too much away, but it's a secret room in the house. And it's (laughs) like when he opens it up and you walk through it and it's just, yeah, like Evan was saying, it's just like every, as a wrestling fan, and if you're a fan of wrestling history, it's everything you've ever like dreamed of is there, you know, because Jim (laughs) is, is such an obsessive. 
obsessive fan and collector and historian. And so, yeah, like he knows where every single little piece of everything is in there. And it's amazing. And, you know, I look back now thinking like when we've been in there, you know, we've been there a few times. It's like, it's so hard not to like, yeah, like, you know, just rummage through everything. (laughs) And he's been so good to us. And I'm sure there's been times we picked up a stack of cards and like shuffled through them and then placed them back down and, you know, he's probably like, yeah. but he's been like, so yeah, good yeah, to yeah, us. yeah, 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 he's so yeah. Good and, to and his, his, like, he's got like a drawer there that's uh, cause you know, Jim Cornette was a wrestling photographer before he, you know, became a personality in the ring. Oh. And he, he, he has all of his photo, every single photograph I think he's had ever taken, um, you know, from the seventies and the eighties and, and it's just meticulously uh, organized in these drawers. And it's just like, man, like, where is the Jim Cornette coffee table book, you know, um, with oh. all these photographs? Because they're unbelievable. And so, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just a pleasure. Every time we every time we go, I look forward to it so much. I always have a blast. He's he's so fun. And um, yeah, obviously, also, as they say in the wrestling industry, you know, working with him and doing interviews with Jim is like a night off in the ring because you know that Jim is always going to be on. He's always the sound. He's the soundbite machine. You know, you know, you get exactly what you need when you leave. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's it's a, it's so great for us in the edit, like, like in the edit room, all the editors love Jim Cornette because he makes it all work, you know, in the edit room, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Now, season three takes place May the 6th. The debut episode is Brian Pillman. Again, Brian Pillman's going to be a topic. Nick Gage, The Collision in Korea, The Ultimate Warrior, Grizzly Smith, The Dynamite Kid. Uh, that's six episodes that have already been announced. I'm looking forward to all of them. Uh, probably the, the one I'm most looking forward to is, is the episode on The Ultimate Warrior, now you guys grew up big wrestling fans. You know this has to be probably one of the biggest episodes you've guys done so far because, you know what what a what a story. You know the Ultimate Warrior is one of the you know the biggest icons in the history of professional wrestling. Comes back to the WWE after all those years, gets inducted mm-hmm. into the Hall of Fame, goes to WrestleMania the next day. Then he does this uh, interview on Raw on that Monday night, and it, just the words that he said were so surreal because the very next day, he passed away. So you talk about um, my, my co-host Jay here at the beginning of the episode talked about how you know you guys do episodes that just regular you know non-wrestling fans can relate to. This is such a compelling story about the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, you couldn't – I mean, it's not a good story what happened, but you couldn't write a better story – of of what happened here you know after all those years he returns gets stuck to the hall of fame makes amends with everyone goes on raw and the next day he has passed away i mean i i just it was such such so shocking i can only imagine uh what this episode is going to be like you guys must have uh you must have been watering at the in the mouth to do this episode because it's, it's such a compelling story well, yeah, you know, uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Obviously, you know, we both grew up, you know, um, as, as huge fans of the Ultimate Warrior as kids. Um, and I think, you know, go, you know, as wrestling fan, you know, as you get older, and you know, all the controversy that kind of goes with that, with with Jim Helwig and with Ultimate Warrior, you know, you 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 grow up with the uh, the self destruction of the Ultimate Warrior documentary. 
then, you know, he comes back and, you know, of course the way he died. And I think it it leaves a lot to wonder, you know, I mean, of course you watch all these shoot interviews with wrestlers who trash him and, you know, and say he's one of the, you know, most contentious figures in wrestling. And you just kind of look at like, he's always been this really enigmatic figure. Like who is the guy behind the face paint? Who really was he, you know, and, 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 and what made him tick and what was his motivation? And I feel like because, um, and I feel like you just get like these two extreme versions of him. You get kind of now today, like a very lionized version of him, you know? Um, and then, you know, just probably 15 years prior, you got a very, you know, yeah, contentious, controversial portrait of him. So it is, it just kind of leaves a lot of questions, more questions than answers to, to really, uh, you know, about, you know, th- this wrestler, because he was such an outsider, he was such an outsider that came into – he was a bodybuilder that came into wrestling, and, you know, he didn't grow up with you – know, he, didn't, he didn't have a dad that was a wrestler. He didn't – he wasn't he was, he wasn't grandfathered in because, you know, he went to the matches at you – know, he was 12 years old and set up the ring. You know, he came in basically, you know, from out of left field and then rose to the top faster than anybody, you know. And so it's a really interesting story, but I think more than anything, it's like really parsing through that legacy and parsing through – um, yeah, who this guy really was. And, you know, it was a challenge to make the episode, you know, uh, because, you know, it, it is still it's still a subject that oddly people are guarded about, you know. Um, and uh, but I think we have a really compelling, a very, very, very compelling episode because, you know, we 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 did interview uh, Warriors, uh, you know, first wife, Sherry, who was there from the time he was still studying to be a, a, a chiropractor. <laughs> oh, wow. I was a chiropractor, you know, so he, he, she was there when he was a chiropractor and saw the transformation of, okay, he's going to be a bodybuilder. Okay. You know, now he's going to, you know, then he meets sting and then they, you know, he, they, they you know, then they be the freedom fighters or blade runners. And then all the way until the rise to, uh, to where you know he won the, the the WWF championship from Hogan, and then they 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 separated shortly thereafter. So she was really there for the whole transformation and the whole rise. And so it's just a really intimate, interesting portrait of um, a, a very intimate portrait of of Warrior and what it's kind of like to to be sort of married to um, you know yeah somebody in that world yeah. you know um, yeah it's 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 really interesting. I'm not sure exactly how old you gentlemen are, but were you guys watching wrestling around the time of WrestleMania six? Oh yeah, Jason, you yeah. were for I, sure. I was, yeah, I was watching it live. Oh. Okay, Jason, here's my question for you then. Yeah, Jason, here's my here's my question. Tommy and I are on opposite sides of this uh, story, and so I just want to know: Were you cheering for Hogan, or were you cheering for the Ultimate Warrior? at uh during the ultimate challenge there you know it's interesting because like i was a huge fan of hulk hogan when i was a kid but when ultimate warrior was on his rise like i was a huge ultimate warrior fan like and i was cheering for ultimate warrior and so you know the way that ended and you saw him with like both belts it was like you know the craziest image you know um like my I, to be honest, like, my Ultimate Warrior action figure, like, was the champion of my toy box. Mm. Like, I put him through everyone. And, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, like Evan was talking about, it's, um, 
you know, as a fan and you grew up with, he was such a, you know, such a powerful figure for my imagination growing up. And then you start learning about the controversies and like the things he says. So it makes you kind of like battle with your does, I think is like, you know, you get to see who this, who he was, you know, and how, you know, what made him into the person he is now. And so it makes me, I don't know. I better understand some of some of the choices, you know, that he made, um, or just how, you know, he became totally. who he is. Um, so yeah, psychological profile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of the times people say the stories that happen outside the ring are more interesting than the ones that take place inside the squared circle. Evan and Jason, you guys do an unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, job of bringing these stories back into people's vision, back into the main front so that wrestling fans can relive them, but non-wrestling fans can kind of get hooked and understand a little bit about why we love the world of professional wrestling so much. Evan and Jason, before we let you go, Tommy and I both just want to thank you so much for taking the time. We know you guys are incredibly busy. It means the world to us that you came on our show and shared some of your story uh, with us. We are looking forward to season three. We're on pins and needles. We cannot wait. Uh, Before we let you go, is there anything about season three that you guys are very excited for fans of the show to see? Oh, man, there's so so much. much. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, I was uh, thinking about uh, it just before this phone call uh before this interview i was sitting here thinking like you know the the story of grizzly smith you know i i I like how if you're you know if you grew up as a fan of wrestling documentaries and you watch like beyond the mat and you saw that little section with like jake snake roberts and he like talked about how what happened to his sister and how his sister was kidnapped and possibly murdered but it's only like this short moment in that documentary and ever since i saw it I think Evan, you agree. It's just, it's always haunted us. It's always been a question, like what totally. happened there? Like this was this crazy past yeah. Jake has that we've never, we've had several documentaries about him, but it's never like dove into this aspect of it. So that's one thing yeah. I was just thinking of before this interview. Like, man, that is going to be something for for fans of the show and fans of wrestling that we're diving into that story. Yeah, and I have to say, it's like this is a real kind of like nasty tease that I'm teasing here, but because we haven't announced it yet. But there's one episode because <laughs> you know right now it's just we've we've unveiled the first you know seven episodes because the Brian Pillman episode is actually two. It's two parts. Um, but the uh, the second half of the season, which we have yet to announce, I think is going to be announced very soon. Is uh, there's one episode there that. Uh, is kind of the I think one of the major discovery episodes. I would say it's kind of in line with the Herb Abrams of of uh, uh, of this episode, like like one of the deeper cut stories. And that episode, which we are just wrapping up right now, um, I think it has some of our best reenactments we've ever shot. I think it has some of the craziest interview moments. I think it's I, I cannot wait to to unveil that episode because that's been a blast um, to to make. <laughs> So, you know, sure. Before you leave, just so you know, me and Jay here, we're both diehard viewers of your show. If you want to give us an exclusive of one of the, the episodes, you know, feel free <laughs> before you guys head off, you know. I would be I would be shunned by my network. <laughs> 
um, <laughs> who've tried to keep, you know, because it's interesting because it's funny because like you do you you do an interview with you know with some of these guys like Eric Bischoff or you know, and then they'll just like yeah, you know, just they'll just. Oh yeah, I just did an interview for Collision in Korea, and it's like, no, why'd you tell everybody? You know, no. so it's been really hard to like keep this under wraps because you know wrestlers telephone, tell a friend, tell a wrestler, you know, and and it's 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 so yeah, I think we have to exercise extreme protection, but <laughs> hopefully we can unveil it soon. <laughs> Great. Well, again, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and and we're looking forward to uh, season three of Dark Side of the Ring, and I'm sure all our listeners are as well. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Take All care. Right, guys. Have a good day. All right, bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Dark Side of the Ring Season 3 premieres on May the 6th, Jay. This is a couple weeks away. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, the first two seasons have been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I, I think out of, the, out of the seven episodes they have announced so far, you know, Pillman being the two-parter, the Warrior one, man, is definitely the one I'm looking forward to seeing the most. I'm excited about that one, too, just because, like the boys were saying, he was such an interesting person outside of the ring. As fans at that time, we knew the Ultimate Warrior as what was being presented on our screen. As we grew up and we gained access to YouTube and, and other outlets, you kind of got to see the man behind the makeup at the Wrestling Collector, which is located at 2772 State Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey, this Saturday morning between 10 a.m. and noon, WWE Hall of Famers, the Rock and Roll Express, and Savio Vega will both be appearing live at the Wrestling Collector this Saturday. You can come out and get autographed pictures and get your photos with them. If you have your own items as well, you can uh, bring them to the store and get have it signed by them. So that's be real cool. Rock and Roll Express and Savio Vega this Saturday morning, 10 a.m. to noon. Again, the Wrestling Collector is on Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey. And then this Monday, we have another Monday Night Virtual, and it's going to be a big one, Jay. We have former AWA World Heavyweight Champion, WWE Hall of Famer, one of the biggest names in wrestling, the Lariat. Stan Hansen, the man that broke Bruno San Martino's neck, will be a live virtual signing this Monday night. That is a big one, Tommy. I'm excited for that. Stan was one of these guys that as a kid I would read about in the magazines, and he came across as legit tough. I was a little bit scared of him as a kid. I'm excited uh, to see what he's like in real life, hear the stories he has to tell, I even got a kick out of uh, last Monday when you had your extreme signing round table and your host was plugging Stan Hansen. All the guys at the table had a story to tell about how hard Stan could hit in the ring. And so I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to get an autograph and hear some stories from Stan Hansen. Yeah, anyone that wants to get a personalized autograph photo of Stan Hansen, you can just head over to our website. It's 80s Wrestling Con. Dot com again 80s wrestling con.com you select the photo that you want then you'll tune in live to our facebook page this monday night the link for the facebook page is on 80s wrestling con.com and you can watch stan hansen sign your photo live for you and then uh give you a shout out as well 
and then we'll ship your photo out to you after the signing. Again, it's this Monday night, Stan Hansen from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time on our Facebook page, and you can head over to 80swrestlingcon.com now and uh, get your photo. So we have the Rock and Roll Express and Savio Vega on Saturday, Jay, at the store. Then Sunday is my birthday, and then Monday is uh, the Stan Hansen virtual signing. Well, happy birthday, Tommy. Thank you. Is there anything special going on at the Wrestling Collector on Sunday to celebrate the big day? Well, uh, Sunday is typically my day off. I have my uh, my mother work the store on Sunday because she lives literally a mile away from the store. So I need a day off to be with my, my family, and, and typically Sunday is that day. But not this Sunday, Jay, because guess what? I have the same birthday as my mom, so I can't have – my mother work on her birthday, so I'm working the store <laughs> on my birthday this Sunday. Well, that's fantastic, man. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to your mom. I love that she that she pulls the Sunday shift at the store. Is she as knowledgeable about pro wrestling as you are? No, not at all, man. Not at all. I bet customers so, uh, love chatting her up, though. Yeah, I, I can't imagine a customer asks her about Killer Kowalski, what she's going to answer, you know? <laughs> well well Tommy before we sign off for the for the for the week here there is one last segment that we have to get to we like to end every episode of 80s wrestling the podcast with a segment called Ask Tommy Chic this uh-uh. is where Tommy this is where Tommy steps aside and passes the microphone uh to Tommy Chic a long lost relative of the uh Hall of Famer the Iron Chic and so, uh, Tommy, if you want to pass the mic over there to the uh, to Tommy Sheik here, we got a question yeah, me, for him. Let me, let me get him, Tommy. Tommy Sheik. Yeah, bring come, him into the room. He's 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 just coming out of the bathroom. Tommy Sheik, come over here. Uh, you're going to end the show. Okay, he's coming. Hello. All right, t- Tommy. Tommy Sheik, are you ready, Tommy Sheik? Hello. Hello, hello, Tommy Sheik. This is 80s Wrestling, the podcast. This is Jumpin' Jay. How you doing? First of all, I'd like to say hello to all the wrestling fans all around the world, Baba. They know the Iron Sheik. You're absolutely right. Everybody knows and loves the Iron Sheik, sir. Sir, we're just, we just had an episode uh, with the creators of The Dark Side of the Ring, Evan Husney and Jason Eisner. I'm sure you've seen the show. My question is, you're such a well-known figure throughout the entire world, I'm kind of surprised that you don't have your own show on network TV. I'm just wondering if, if, a, if, a, if a producer came to you and asked you to be the host of a network TV show, would you be up for that? First of all, I'd like to say hello again to all the wrestling fans all around the world, Papa. They know the Iron Sheik. I wrote the Wrestling Federation. I read the WWF Tag Team Chop. Not that jabroni, Hollywood brown, piece of shit, Hulk Hogan. They want to show the Iron Sheik. No problem, Baba. No problem. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I'm sure your fans are curious. What kind of show would the Iron Sheik be interested in hosting? No more questions. I pushed the limits too far. He's a man of few words. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. 
What? What did you say, Jay? He goes, he gets very upset. He just took off. He said, "No more questions." Listen, he's, I don't know what happened. Listen, he's a very passionate man. He's a very passionate man. I, I, just, I hope I didn't upset him too much. I hope he'll come back next week and, and rejoin us. You got heat with him. What did you say to Tommy Sheik? I, I don't. I walk on eggshells around him. I, he's, a, he's a very passionate man. I don't know what to say to him. You have too many questions, you Minnesota motherfucker. More, more questions. Well, uh, all right. I, I guess that's our time for today. Uh, ex- awesome episode. Tommy, are you back? Yeah, I'm back, man. I, I okay, apologize. Man, listen, hey, listen. I, I he's he's got he's a passionate man. He, he's he's got a lot going on. I just appreciate his time. Hopefully, he'll he'll come back on the on the episode next week. But uh, what a show today, Tommy. Evan and Jason oh, were absolutely fantastic. I awesome. can't wait for season three. Yeah, man, that was that was great. And Evan and Jason, they were both great. And uh, next week's episode right here of 80s Wrestling, the podcast, Jay, is going to be another big one. We have the leader of the Four Horsemen, J.J. Dillon, joining us right here on the show next week. We're going to talk about his career and also talk about the amazing movie he was in, documentary 350 Days which uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see it yet. Uh, Jay, it was absolutely phenomenal. A good friend of mine uh, produced it. So I want to talk about that documentary next week and, and talk to JJ about his career. That is going to be a conversation that you won't want to miss. J.J. Dillon from the Four Horsemen. What a, what a career he had, the stories he can tell. Looking forward to that one. Anything else before you take us home, Tommy? That's about it, man. Just thank you, everyone, for the continued support. Listen to the podcast every week. Getting tons and tons of feedback, Jay. We appreciate it. And I'm sure we're going to get a ton of feedback after today's absolutely phenomenal episode with, with Evan and Jason. And I hope everyone has a great weekend. I hope to see some of you guys this Saturday at the Wrestling Collector to meet the Rock and Roll Express in Savio Vega. And uh, this Monday night, Monday night virtual from 7 to 10 p.m. with Stan Hansen. And until next week, hope everyone has a great weekend, and we'll catch you here right next week on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.